In Jesus' name. Can we ask personally, first of all, say, Lord, speak to me. In this few minutes that I am going to be before your word, that you will say something to me particularly. Don't allow me to just waste this time. Whatever it is that the speaker is saying, so long as the word of God is open, oh Lord, please say something to me. Say something to me this evening. Speak to me. Our Father, we are asking together as a church that you will open your word to us this evening in the name of Jesus. Grant us faith in our hearts, O God, to receive with meekness the engrafted word of God. There was a time you testified in scripture, you said the word was not benefiting the people who heard it at first because they didn't mix the word of God with faith. And you encouraged us and you said that today, 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 if you hear his word, do not harden your hearts. Lord, let us not be people who harden our hearts in your presence in the name of Jesus Christ. Speak to us, O God. Encourage those that need encouragement. Instruct those that need instruction, O God. Send rebuke, reproof, Lord, instructions in righteousness. The different aspects of the working of your spirit as the different faces of the people who are seated here. Lord, we ask that you will minister to each and every one of us according to our needs in the name of Jesus. Grant me utterance, I ask, O God, and also minister to me also. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Utilizing the authority in the word of God is the topic that we have for discussion briefly this evening. Hallelujah. And there are a few scriptures that I would like us to just read to establish, first of all, the capacity of the word of God. The first of them is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Where the Bible is trying to describe the word of God. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes, or some other translations will say the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do, or with whom we will give an account. Herein is a brief description to us of the word of God. Remember the topic is utilizing the authority or the power in the word of God. And the Bible says that the word of God is living and active. It is quick and powerful. It is sharp. And it is sharper than a two-edged sword. And the peculiarity of this sword is that it pierces to the division of where bone and marrow meet. Where soul and spirit, I don't know if you know where that is located. Hallelujah. If they give you something and say, go and touch where the soul divides from the spirit. I doubt that that is a job for mere mortals. But from these brief scriptures... There are many other scriptures, but for the want of time, we'll just take this one as an example. You will discover that when the Bible, when the Word of God talks about the Word of God, it's not merely referring to this thing I'm holding in my hand. This is a Bible, is it not? When the Bible describes the Word of God, 
This thing in my hand is not living, it's not a living object. It is a book. It is living and active. And so he must be talking about something slightly different from just the Bible. There's a scripture that we often quote. But I think it's very important for us now. He says that um, the letter kills, but that the spirit gives life. And Jesus now says that the words that I speak to you, they are spirits and they are life. It gives us a quick entrance into the fact that the letters of scripture, they actually are unprofitable to the ordinary person. They are usually not very beneficial. And that's the reason why you can have professors of CRK who have no idea of the word of God. But they are full of the Bible. I don't know if you are understanding my... Please, if you are not understanding me, try not to misunderstand me until we get to the end. Okay? They are full of the Bible. They can quote large passages of Bible. But they do not know the word of God at all. You can even see professors of theology sometimes. Who don't just know letters of Bible. Have dissected implications. Attached church history to it. Attached different things. And yet. May not have any idea. About the word of God. Why? Because the word of God is not a novel. It's not a good book. It's not another book. The word of God, the Bible says, is living. It is alive. Hallelujah. And so, when we are talking about utilizing the authority in the word of God, don't go away with the mindset that it is utilizing passages of Bible. Because they don't exactly mean the same thing. The fact is actually that before we, we proceed, you can't find the word of God, really, outside of the Bible also. Because, like a shell of an egg, when you see the shell of an egg, and you say, oh, I want an egg. You know, what you actually want is inside the egg, is it not? But when you are buying it, there's no method by which they can pour out, pour out the egg for you. You have to take the egg in the container. But when you reach your house, you have bought the egg. Everything you are looking for is there. You don't just take an egg, boil it, and just throw it into your mouth. You need to break the shell to get into the scripture. So, the Bible that we read, if you don't come to the Bible, you really cannot find the word of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, the word of God is embedded in quotes. It's located within the scriptures that we read every day. But what I'm just trying to say is that many of us can, we can come to it year after year and the best will be touching is the letters of scripture, the shell. And we will never have broken into the scriptures. So, we're talking about the word of God. Luke chapter 10, from verse, let's read from verse 18. He replied, Jesus was talking to his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes, and scorpions, and to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, 
but rejoice that your names are written in, in heaven. Let's keep verse 20 on hold. Let's talk about verse 19. Jesus was saying, I have given you. It was like people that he was doing, um, what do you call them? You are teaching how to teach. Let me use that example. You know, um, teachers, whether it is NCI, whether it is PGDE, whether it is whatever, anything you are doing that it has to do with education. When they teach you, teach you, teach you, teach you, then they do a session they call what? Teaching practice, is it not? And it looked, the, people, the disciples had gone for a teaching practice, in quotes. And when they returned back, Jesus made a very interesting statement. He said that they have, he has given them power. You know, they were telling him how, ah, the thing you said to us worked, oh, as we just did like this, this happened, as you just did, and the people were so amazed, and they were just, see, Jesus, now, wow, this, your power is very strong, oh, in fact, there, eh? and, and Jesus was trying to tell them, he said, that actually, what you didn't even appreciate, that it's not just power to do this one, do that one, I have given you authority, power, over everything, the entire kingdom of darkness, the entire enemy, it's not just it's not just them, the manifestations of the works of the devil. It is over the entire kingdom of darkness and over everything. And it interests me in my heart to know that I am also included in the people that that kind of command was given to. But before we just make a comment on that, let's run to the scripture we are very used to in this church at least. Matthew chapter 28. I read from verse 19. This is now when Jesus... Now let's read from verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Commanded you and surely... I am with you always to the very end of the ages. We see what looks like um, in my normal self, I will describe them as overstatements. How can Jesus be making such a large statement, such a big statement? And particularly if I want to now judge it with personal experience, of myself and maybe people very near to me. I'll say, well, well, this thing that Jesus is saying is a good idea somewhere. But I'd like to encourage you, brethren, that it is not just a good idea, it is the word of God. And the Bible was describing or is describing for us the power and the authority that lies in the word of God. So the interesting question to my mind is, why am I unable to tap into that kind of thing. Why am I unable to utilize the authority in the word of God? What keeps me from having this kind of, of attending power as my normal everyday life? Maybe we have testimonies of once in a while, you know, if I want to remember um, the power of the word of God. I say, God, my mind may run to three years ago. Six years ago, last two months, last, why is it not an everyday experience for me? For want of time, I will just paraphrase this story. Peter and John 
were going to the temple to pray. And we know the story of the man at the beautiful gates that they met. He just asked a simple question. As usual as he had always done. Possibly not the first time they were even seeing him there. He said to them, um, give me money. But on that day, Peter just looked at him and said, silver and gold, I have not. Well, just another side. For those of us who think that it is unspiritual to have no silver and gold in your pocket. Peter had no silver and gold to give the man. That's not even money for, you know, money for beggar is not, it's not good money. It's not correct money, you know. 20 naira, 50 naira, 100 naira. But he had nothing. Maybe he put his hand in his pocket, removed his pockets like this, put his hand inside the other one, removed it and said, bros, nothing. But I have something that I want to give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Before we continue that story, Revelation chapter 19. Can we just quickly run there? There's an interesting intermix of the use of these phrases. And the Bible helps me by this Revelation 19.13. Let's read from 11. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. Without going further, who are we describing here? Sorry? Hallelujah. Okay? He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is what? His name is what in your own scripture? The word of God. That's his name. Hallelujah. So when Peter came to this man and said, In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Don't be imagining that it was just a... You know, there's a way we use the name of Jesus nowadays. Hmm? If I'm going and I just hit him, Hi, Jesus! That is... That one is not the word of God. It's not that type that we are talking about. Or if I'm inside the car now, and fear rises in my heart. You know, if you hear Jesus inside the bus... Um, three quarters of the people who say Jesus they're just exclaiming really it's just fear manifesting itself a few of the people may actually be talking to Jesus and may actually be referring to Jesus but the most of us it has become um, a byword on our lips you are giving me a word sir it has become you know just something we just say you know hey Jesus hey hey Jesus in and not that kind of thing that is his, his exclamation. But his name is the word of God. And Peter said to him, not in the usual use, but in the name of Jesus Christ. And I perceive that that statement can also be rewritten as, by the authority in the word of God. Because his name is the word of God. I command you, rise up and walk. That was a man utilizing the power of God. Utilizing authority. In the word of God. And I didn't see him preparing for it. I didn't see him having a particular session of praying and fasting. And compassion session. As he you know, shake his shoulder and prepare that today, today, the demons will see. The demons will know. No. He was just going about his normal business. And without plan. Remember his agenda when he left his house was to go and pray. He just went at the hour of prayer to go and pray. Without planning. Suddenly there was a small crusade and he turned, remembering the instruction 
that Jesus also gave in Matthew chapter 28. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, meaning as a result of this now, therefore, go and make disciples. So, as the authority in the word of God raised the man that was crippled, the same authority also was put into use. And he began to preach. And that day, thousands of people came to the Lord unplanned. Hallelujah. Why are we not able to move around with our lives normally? Normally. And we are utilizing the authority in the word of God. As I was just thinking about that, a few, a few things came to me. And the first one is that, the first one is that many of the people, or some of the people, who are making attempts at using authority in the word of God, have no such rights. They have no such rights. Because the word of God is not available for everybody. It is those of us who are sons of God. Those of us who are children of God. Not just those of us who are attending church. But those of us who have handed our lives over to God. And God is running our lives. That have capacity to have to use the word of God. I use that word use in quotes. Because the word of God is actually not to be used. But it is those of us who, who are following Jesus. Let's put it like that. Who are trying and walking in step with Jesus. In the different aspects of our lives. And not in compartments. I was discussing with a friend yesterday. And we are just you know, lamenting how sometimes we can compartmentalize our lives. When we come to church, we wear the Christian gown. When we go to work, we wear the work gown. Somebody was saying, say, ah, somebody was encouraging another sister. I say, ah, sister, do this like this now. Since you are a Christian and you are in this profession, shouldn't you exhibit the life of Jesus? And she said to her, no, ha, that is not how it is done here. Oh. If you want to make progress in this place, um, this is not how it is done there. Even though, yes, I'm a Christian, but you can't be doing Christian things in that place. And ah, I said, oh, that's how we compartmentalize our life. I'm a teacher. But all the things that are happening around me are happening. I'm even joining. I'm, I'm contributing. I'm expecting the students to pay something so that I can turn my back and be doing my, pressing my phone while WIAC exam is going on so that they can do as they like. And if you ask, you say, ah, these people, these boys, they will kill you. They are very dangerous. So they, they, ah, please, oh, just leave them or let them be doing what they are doing. Even if you don't want their money, just leave them. Let them be doing what they are doing. And I ask, I said, so where is your Christianity in what you are doing? And that's just one example. But those of us who God will be granting small space to stand in the authority of the word of God as a usual part of life, are not those of us who are going to be needing emergency sanctification. And when I say emergency sanctification, I mean, you know, sometimes when you want to pray, not because you love the Lord, but because you need this prayer request, it's very important to you. You say, Lord, anything I have committed, please forgive. Oh, forgive this one, forgive that one, forgive this one, forgive this one. Reason behind your mind, because I need to make this prayer, you need to answer this prayer. It's not that kind of emergency kind of sanctification. But, a life that is absolved from sin as a habit. I love the Lord and so I do not sin. 
I love the Lord and so I'm following his ways. That's my usual way of life. Because when the need to utilize the word of God comes, he usually will not come to you and give you an announcement and say, in the next two hours, sister, you are going to be needing to utilize the word of God. So prepare. It's, it's, not, it's not usual for situations of circumstances in life to do that kind of thing. But, so God is requiring us to live like him on a normal day as a habit of life. That's how I am. That's how I have become. Hallelujah. That's number one. The Bible says in James chapter 5 verse 16, he says that the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man makes much power available or availeth much. Not the quality. The righteous man. Not just the man. Not the, the church going man. Not even the tongue speaking man. But the righteous man. And it is such kind of man that the authority for answer to prayer is available. John chapter 15 verse 7. Where the Bible says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask what you will. Hallelujah. I think that's another delegation of authority that Jesus has given to us. Ask what you will. But what are the what are the the preconditions to that? If ye abide in me. What does it mean to abide? Some translations will say, if you dwell in me, if you live in me, if you walk in me, if you walk with me as a normal course of your life, if you don't have anywhere to go outside sometimes, it is normal, it is usual. I don't do what I want to do. I do what I perceive the Holy Spirit will have me do. I live like, I don't live for myself. Ah, I say, sister, why are you not doing this? He says, sister, it's not beneficial to the cause of the man whom I am serving. You don't live for yourself anymore. We see that written in scripture severally, especially in Paul's write-ups. Hallelujah. And my words abide in you. So, it's not only that I am living right. If it were possible to live right without the word of God. It's not just that I am living right. But that I am a studious person. Studying the word of God. Receiving the word of God. So much so that the word of God now lives. It has a residence. It has a house. It has a room. It has accommodation in my life. And so when something happens to me, you know, you don't behave like my patient. I had a patient, a very serious gingerum sister. And as she lay on the operating table for us to operate, suddenly we came. You know, and I just wanted to greet her. But before I came in there, we were trying to put a line for her. I knew it can be a bit painful. So I just came and touched her hand and said, Sister, Jesus! So I said, what's the problem? What's the problem? She said, hey. Oh. I said, sister, why are you so afraid? I was just tapping your hand. She said, hey. Hey. You know? And then all the nurses started saying, that's how she has been. No? She's so apprehensive. She's so afraid. She's so this. So I said, ah, sister. Sister, unbelievers lie down on this table. Oh, and they are blowing whistle and shaking their leg as we are preparing to operate on them. Even unbelievers who have no savior. So this is our faith now. How are we going to shift it and move it? She said, no, no, please, oh, doctor, doctor, I'm a human being. I'm a human being, I beg, I beg. Eh? And she said, I'm a human being. It's, also, it's, it's human being you want to operate on. Ah, you know, it was not the correct place to be expounding scriptures in such large quantities, you know, but in my heart, I just said, Kai, 
this type of Christianity that when he reaches where it is, why do they say take half or something if there is no trouble? Say be of strong courage. It's not because there's something that makes people's hearts to fail. Or you need power. It's because there is something strong to do. You know? And if we live that, the Bible says that in the day of adversity, if your strength fails, then what happened to your strength? It was very small in the very first place. The reason why it was doing as if there was something there is because all was well. All was well. It didn't have tests. But that the essence of it is that when you now meet the normal life situation that should produce fear, something in your heart, because the word of God abides in your heart, will rise up and say, fear not, I am with you. So, if you now come and fear again, inside that kind of situation, hallelujah. So, I abide in him, and his word abides in me. For such a man, the Bible says, ask whatever it is that you will. I think God is confident that if the man meets these two criteria, he cannot ask amiss. If he, the man abides in him, and his word abides in the man, the man cannot ask wrongly. He will ask for what is correct. Hallelujah. So, the first hindrance I perceive to our being unable to utilize the word of God, and therefore, what will help us to utilize the word of God, is to live right. It's to live right. Hallelujah. The second one is ignorance. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6, I think. Says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. My people perish for lack of knowledge. When the world, when God begins to expound Himself, open scriptures to you, and your eye begins to see, sometimes they're like, wow. But I've read that passage before. I've read that scripture before. You know? But I read it and there was nothing for that day. But on the day when God will show mercy on me, and I see something in that scripture, that ignorance for that part. Is removed from me. But many times, you know, ignorance is not bliss. So, the Bible says that he who does not know, okay, no, he who knows and offends will be flogged with many strokes. But he who does not know, he didn't know it was wrong, but he still did it. Will he be set free? What did the Bible say will happen to him? He will still be flogged, though. How be it with fewer strokes? But he will still be flogged. So, ignorance is not bliss. It's not somebody. Somebody told me that he used to say when he was a non-believer, he won't enter church at all. So that on that day, when God is say, God, but I didn't know. I didn't know. I had no idea. I didn't know. You know, it was a brother who was sharing that his mindset with us. He said, no, he didn't want to go and mistakenly hear. And then now come and say, now I have heard. So he didn't used to, apart from when his parents used to carry him to church when he was small. When he said he was supposed to start going to church of his own free fellowship, he said, no, he won't go to church. Hallelujah. Ignorance. Can we beg the Lord or trust the Lord to help us to sit down? Since last year and even into this year, we've been discussing about the word of God. I don't know if you are still unable to study scriptures. How will you know? How will you use what you do not even know? Even if it was yours. How will you know? Hallelujah. Number three is unbelief. I know. I am a child of God. I am quite, quite living right. Because actually you can't live right if you are unbelieving. So, but I have fulfilled most of the other rules. Other things that God would be expecting me. But many times I just wonder. This thing, is it really, really, really so? 
Is it for the old time believers and no longer for me? Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12. I used to play with unbelief. I used to take it as one of those things and used to just casually say, Lord, help my unbelief. But when I read this scripture, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Hallelujah. What, how did the Bible describe the unbelieving heart? Sinful. A sinful, unbelieving heart. So an unbelieving heart, unbelieving heart, unbelief is sin, no? It is not, it's not just inability to have faith. It is sin. And God sees it as sin. If you read that entire chapter 3, you will really appreciate how God feels personally pained. And you see, when God is describing something, He says, I know that human beings normally don't have faith. But for these people, I carried them out. I did like this. I came to the Red Sea. I did miracle. I came to the wilderness. I did uh-uh. Is it not enough for them to have faith? And even though we are not the Israelites, I like to tell you that if you check your life very well, you will see that God has proven himself enough for you to believe him. He has done enough. He has done enough wonderful works in our lives as individuals. Just not because that is his normal pattern of activity, but that he's trying to just encourage your heart that I can be trusted. And if you see particularly most of the prophets, Isaiah and the rest of them, who are describing Jesus, when they say that, describing God, he sits in heaven and the earth is his footstool. He fills the entire firmament of the heavens and the earth. When he stretches the word, it's like a canopy in his front. He holds the oceans in the palms of his hand. Ah, ah. That kind of person, if he can be called a person, can he not be trusted? And God, in his word and in our personal lives, gives us reason not to, to be unbelieving. But if we still insist to harbor unbelief, the songwriter says, Be gone, unbelief. Cast it out. If we just want to live with it near our houses, near our doors, then the description of our heart is a sinful, unbelieving life. And such a person cannot utilize the authority in God's word. Hallelujah. I perceive that even God is stranded when a man is unbelieving. Remember there was a, a town or something in scriptures, in the gospels, that the Bible says that Jesus could not perform miracles inside them because they did not believe. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. Without faith, the Bible says, it is impossible to do what? And if I do not please God, how can I utilize authority in his word? Um, one of the other things I would just like to mention that can help us is fear. But fear is a part of unbelief, is it not? And the Bible says, somewhere in the book of Revelations, I can't remember where it is, it says, when he was talking about those for whom the lake of fire are reserved, he says, the fearful, the unbelieving. I don't know why those two, before he started talking about fornicators and liars and murderers and the rest and the rest of us, he started with the fearful and the unbelieving. And so, if I continue to admit fear 
as normal. It's normal to human beings, but it's not normal to children of God. And so, whenever it comes to my heart, I should not say, oh, hey, and hey, no, you should know that the enemy of your soul is near you. And you should deal with it as such. If you read the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, from verse 4, it's a very popular scripture. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I'd like you to pay attention to what those weapons do in verse 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You know, sometimes when we think about the weapons of our warfare, we think that it is, oh, let us start to bind devils, bind devils and cast devils. And that's what the weapons are. The primary one that the Bible describes for us are war against the things that happen in our minds. Arguments that raise up. You know, for Eve, he said, did God really say? And sometimes you know that it comes into your heart, doesn't it? He said, does this thing really, really matter? Is it really wrong? Can God really even do this thing that they are saying that God can? Those are thoughts that are disobedient to Christ. And you need to utilize the weapons of our warfare to cast them down. To destroy them. Not to sit down under them and say, Oh, queer. No. Those are enemies of your soul. Things that they engender fear. You say, fear not the Lord is with you. Something say, hmm, your name, And you tell you, say, oh, where? Oh, so you say, get out wherever it is that you came from. And I rebuke you in that. That is what to rebuke. You see, Jesus said he has given us authority over the enemy and his kingdoms. Those ones are not in contention. They are not in question. But the enemy of your soul, who knows that he has been conquered already, now comes in, you know, a very seemingly disguised manner, as if it were your thoughts. Just a thought coming in your mind. But therein lies our victory or our loss. The battle in the mind. And rather than accept fear as, and, and say, hey, hey, you know, some of us are so anxious. And the Bible says, be anxious for, is it not instruction? So if I'm anxious, should I not beg the Lord for forgiveness? He gave an instruction which I have not obeyed. Then if you now rise up, the devil will now say, But If you are not anxious for who will be anxious for you? You say, She be? She? Hey, now wow, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You have just displayed disobedience and you are looking for reason to explain it instead of attacking it for what it is. If we are going to be utilizing the power in the word of God, sisters and brothers, we will need to believe God and his word. We will not allow rationalization of the minds. We will not allow things that cast doubts, that want to bring coverings onto those kind of things. And the last thing that I think is part of the problem is prayerlessness. We do not like to pray. You know, this job I'm doing is a very simple one, to preach. Anybody can preach. 
Everybody can preach. We just carry Bible. Share the open Bible and be reading. You be reading it and be doing. It does not show spirituality at all. But when it comes to the place of prayer, and I said prayer, I didn't say but my mind is inside the soup in my house and I am thinking of, I'm talking of communion with God. When it comes to communion with God, not that I am kneeling down in on front of my bed complaining to God. If you are the team, if you are the one near why, if you are this, all these kind of people, in Jesus' name. A complaint in the name of Jesus. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about prayer. Prayer, communion with God, talking to God and listening to Him to talk back to you, whether it is in your heart or it is in the place of Scripture. Prayer. I think prayerlessness is one of the reasons because you can't abide if you are not praying. When we are communing with God, those are the places where strengthening of heart comes. Sometimes in the place of prayer, you are just praying, you are just praying, and you are just wondering, and the Holy Ghost just brings to your remembrance. A scripture that inside Bible may appear dead, but he brings it as life in your spirit. And ah, something in just, just know this is the Lord. This is the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. As we want to pray, I'd like you to just check your heart. And to just ask yourself a few questions. Do I really believe God? Do I really believe God? And if I believe Him, why am I running my life myself? Why don't I have confidence that He can run it and that He won't crash it? Why don't I have confidence that if I leave it completely to Him, even though I may be jeered by people, and it will appear that I am having apparent loss, but I know whom I believe in. And I'm persuaded that he is able to do that which he has said about me. I'd like to ask you. Are you having... Are you utilizing authority in the word of God as a normal part of your life? As it should be? Some of the things we mentioned, are there any that you need to talk to the Lord about? Just talk to him. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the air, the living word. His wounds shall plead for me. I need no Having other arguments in our hearts as we sing the song one more time, hand over those arguments to God. I need no
Father of a truth, we give you thanks. Lord, we need no other argument. Father, we run even under the cover of your love. Under the banner of your love. We need no other proof of your love for us. But that Jesus died for our sins. That we might be able to receive and to utilize the power in his word. In our everyday activities. Not just when it is convenient. Thank you Father for answers to our prayers. In Jesus name we have prayed. 